Hello, Four Sober Chicks podcast listeners. This is Dana, and I am joined by Heather, Lisa, and Meredith. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, we continue to share our experiences with you. And in our last episode, we heard from Heather. And today we have Lisa who is sharing her story. And she'll be talking about what it was like, what has changed, and what it's like now. Lisa? Thanks so much, Dana. Wow. Okay. Well, mine is, um, mine is a story of what I consider to be a um, gray to very dark gray area of drinking. <laughs> when people ask me, you know, so many people want to know, okay, well, well, what kind of a drinker were you? I kind of position it as that. I see drinking as like a spectrum. You know, we're not, we don't need labels. Let's get rid of the labels. Um, but I see myself as being on somewhat of, um, I was in that gray area and but it was getting really 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 dark and um i needed to do something about it so just backing up a bit to give you a bit of context of where i came from and then moving forward to where i am today i just want to say uh, my childhood was um a fairly typical childhood um my dad actually did not even drink he said he tried it in university and he didn't like how it made him feel. Um, so he just didn't drink. And I, I, I look back on that and I go, you push through. Like <laughs> if you didn't like how it made you feel, you just keep going. Like, anyway, that's, that's the, that's what I had when I was, when I was younger. Yeah. I didn't love the taste of it, but you just, for social acceptance, you know, you just push through. <laughs> um, and that's sort of how it all began, but yeah, he, he never drank and he was always the life of the party. He always would bring his Coke. He loves Coca-Cola. So he'd bring his little six pack of Coke to parties. And, you know, he was always the guy who people wanted to be MC at their wedding. Um, he was, he would be asked to do speeches in the middle of parties just for no reason at all. So anyway, my dad didn't drink. My mom drank just socially, occasional glass of wine. Um, and I have a sister who was unbelievably responsible, uh, was always a designated driver. So but I, but I definitely, there was alcohol in the house. I was, I was exposed to it. Um, I associated alcohol with celebrations, um, parties, parents would have friends over, definitely there'd be alcohol flowing. Um, and I definitely, I got curious, you know, and wondered how it made me feel. I think I had my first drink when I was probably 14, maybe, um, stealing a bottle of vodka out of a cupboard and, um, of course got extremely sick, but, um, yeah, so, but that, that was my first experience. What I did find about it, though, at parties was um, it really helped me come out of my shell. I was a very, very, very shy kid, very shy. Um, and alcohol allowed me to say and do all the things that I wanted to say and do. People began to like me. Um, they loved that I would 
I would talk because usually I was just the one kind of hiding in the corner. Um, and it, it just all of a sudden it opened up a whole new world for me. It was it actually then became sort of part of my identity. You know, I'd I'd go to parties and, um, you know, it, I'd, I'd have a few drinks and, and I, this alter ego would come out and her name was Marcy. There's a long story behind the name of Marcy and I won't go into it, but essentially after a few drinks, people would say, oh, I think Marcy's coming out. And Marcy was that person that would do anything, say anything. Marcy was crazy. Um, nothing held Marcy back. And it almost, I, I kind of look back on that. And I think I wonder if um, like subconsciously in a way that was me like deflecting all responsibility onto somebody that wasn't me. You know, so it was, oh, it was Marcy who was crazy last night. It was Marcy who passed out at the party. It was Marcy who can't remember anything from last night. Um, but the thing is, too, though, with Marcy, everyone loved her because she did all the things that others wouldn't do or didn't, weren't brave enough to do. And, um, and everyone wanted her to come out. You know, they'd, they'd encourage me to drink. Um, and yeah, it was just exciting for them to sort of watch. And I think a lot of them were laughing along with me, but I'm sure a lot of them were laughing at me too. Um, I was in marketing in my 20s and 30s. Uh, and the, the culture there was a real work hard, play hard kind of a environment. We had drinks on Thursday nights at the local pub. Uh, Friday around noon, the, the drink cart would come around literally to, to your desk and just, you know, what do you want to drink this afternoon? And uh, we had a, a beer vending machine instead of like snacks. We had a beer vending machine in the staff room. So it was just so encouraged. The office parties were insane. They, a lot of stuff went down at the office parties. Um, in fact, that's where I met my husband. <laughs> We are the product of a, an office party, <laughs> but uh, that's a whole other story. Anyway, the, the, that's how I would say this is where it started to become a bit of um, an issue is because it, it went from like just, you know, experimenting when I was young to socializing to it becoming more of a habitual thing. And they say there's like five stages to, to addiction, you know, experimentation, socialization, habituation abuse and then addiction and those two last phases are extremely slippery and I was just in my 30s in that phase of habituation it was really becoming a habit um, at this point it was just binge drinking on the weekends or with co-workers it was very social um, but as I started getting into my later 30s or into my 30s I kind of took the amount that I was drinking and spread it out more evenly over the week. So I'd still kind of binge a bit more on the weekends, but I, I think it was okay to have a glass of wine after work, you know, and so, or two glasses of wine and then three glasses of wine. And by this time, my tolerance was getting ridiculous. Um, I remember drinking this one guy under the table who was like 200 pounds. His name was Ogie. <laughs> he was this huge guy. And it was like, we were going toe to toe one night. And I actually served, I actually was one to keep going, which was crazy. The, the tolerance was, was really nuts. And the fact that I could get up and go the next morning as well. Um, 
I didn't really get hungover. Um, I could get up and go to work the next day and function just totally fine. Uh, what was becoming an issue were the mental hangovers. Um, so, so the shame and the anxiety and things like that, which I'll touch on in a bit, but um, essentially that was my 20s and into my 30s, but into my 30s, that's when we got married, wanted to have kids, things started, I realized I needed to take it down a little bit. So, and I did, and didn't drink while I was pregnant. That didn't seem to be a problem. Um, but then after having kids, uh, it just sort of crept back up again. It was like, I just went right back into those old habits. And then enter the mummy wine culture, which I claim is just a huge part of um, what helped create the problem for me. It was so accepted. It is so accepted still. Um, you know, drinking during playdates, uh, drinking during bath time. I'd have my glass of wine while the kids were in the bath or whatever. And it was just it was drinking to get through the night. Um, drinking because I deserve it, you know, because mummies work so hard. Drinking while folding laundry, <laughs> you know, it's I'd open a bottle around four o'clock in the afternoon, have a glass of wine while I was cooking dinner and then have dinner, have another glass of wine or another two and then have another after dinner. Boom, the whole bottle's gone. Um, and then it got into opening a second bottle. And then I started just completely not going out at all at this point because not, not going out at all. I would go out, but I would be really nervous about what would happen if I did go out because I knew that it was sort of taking over at this point. Um, I, was, I, was, I was nervous to go out. So I started staying in more and kind of drinking at home more. Um, and then that would just involve me passing out on the couch and then waking up at three in the morning, crawling to bed, getting up in the morning and doing it all over again. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, there were, there were these mental things that were coming into play at this point, not just physical, it was more mental. It was that anxiety, um, anxiety was really creeping in. And I started seeing a therapist around this time because, because I thought anxiety had nothing to do with my alcohol. <laughs> I, little did I know it was like, fueling a fire. It was like pouring gasoline on a fire. Um, it was just feeding my anxiety. Um, the shame I was feeling about um, the things that I might have said or did if I was out in out socializing with friends the night before, because at this point, I was really having some huge blackouts in the night. Um, huge blackouts. And I'd wake up the next morning and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, have to call a friend and find out what happened. What did I say? Who got me home? I was extremely dependent on others at this point in my life to take care of me, which is awful. And um, so there was shame about that. There was, so there was guilt about that. Um, and also I was in the wellness industry. You know, I'm a nutritionist and here I was telling other people, you gotta watch your alcohol intake. Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking on a very regular basis and abusing my body and so there was huge guilt around that but at this point I just didn't know what to do about it um I just all I knew was that alcohol was taking up a lot of room in my life a lot of room it took up a lot of thought a lot of mental energy you know when is a socially acceptable time to drink or maybe I can drink and not let anyone know how am I going to hide it where am I going to hide it um you know 
am I going to have a big day with the kids tomorrow? Am I going to be able to do it? Like just there was driving to a party, you know, am I going to have too much drink? Well, of course you're going to have too much drink, but it's, it just was taking up so much room in my head. And I was really, really sick of that. Um, but the problem is I knew I wanted to quit and I knew I didn't want it to play such a big part in my life, but I was scared, um, scared to let it go. And I think a lot of that had to do with socially, I was scared. I didn't, I didn't want people to look down on me. I didn't want that, that label, you know, oh, I didn't realize Lisa had a problem. You know, it just, I was so nervous about what other people thought about me. Um, I was also really, I, I was a people pleaser and it's something I'm still working on. So I, I just, I was always so concerned about what other people thought. Um, so I was, I was really scared to make a change in my life. So I thought, well, in my forties, I'm entering into my forties now. Um, I wanted to just start, this is when the question marks started coming up. Well, what if I did do something about it? And I did what I think in retrospect was probably the right thing to do. Um, sample all the different options out there. So I read a ton of books on self-help, Quitlet, uh, went to a couple meetings, AA meetings, got involved um, socially speaking, started following influencers on Instagram, Facebook, um, different groups, just talking to people and, and just got curious and fed that curiosity. Um, yeah, I, I even I even quit for a whole year. I, I decided this was probably, I guess, about six years ago now. I quit for a year and I did it. And surprisingly, it wasn't actually all that difficult to do. But after the year was up, I went right back into it because it was only an experiment. It was good, though, because it gave me a taste of how actually amazing physically I felt. It was a year of transformation but I hadn't dealt with what was upstairs. Like I hadn't dealt with the mental transformation. I hadn't shifted my mindset. And this is where I believe tackling this, it, it's not just your body, it's your mind as well. You have to come at it holistically. So I also, at this point, had some other factors at play. It wasn't just me having the desire to make a change in my life. I had kids watching, um, two young boys who, uh, as far as I knew, didn't really know, but I'm sure they knew or they could tell, um, you know, was, they just say, oh, mommy, you're really tired last night. Oh, what did you mean when you said blah? You know, so there were questions and things that were coming up. And, and that, of course, made me really nervous. Um, my therapist also told me at this point, you have a very small window right now. Your kids are watching you. So that, that also helped feed my um, confidence to do something about this. Um, my physical health, I'm in my 40s now. My memory was, I was feeling my memory was just not what it used to be. So I um, wanted to take care of myself physically and mentally. Um, my career, I really wanted to stay in the wellness industry, but I certainly couldn't be able, in my own opinion, to be in this wellness industry yet still have this thing you know, this, this problem going on here. So, um, and then ultimately the biggest tipping point for me, surprisingly, was the pandemic. Um, this is one of the good things that came out of it for me. It forced me to really 
take a good long look at my life and do a big edit of my life. Decide what I wanted to keep, what I wanted to throw away. You know, I'm, I'm middle-aged right now. What, what do I want the second half to look like? So the pandemic was, was really a big tipping point for me. It also, things were slowing down a bit and it gave me the opportunity to really do the work because a lot of it ended up being a lot of work, more, more than I thought it was going to be, um, but in a good way. So basically what I did is I knew that just quitting drinking wasn't going to do it because I did that before. I quit for a year and I went right back to it. So I thought, okay, what can I do this time? I have to do something different. Um, what has worked for me? And I knew therapy had worked for me. Um, so I started looking at coaches. I started looking at recovery coaches. And one of the books I had read is, um, one of the very first books I read, uh, is it's called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And she, um, she has a, a website that I went on to. And I, anyway, I found my recovery coach on her website and coach Carly. And she, she is what made all the difference. It was, an intensive relationship that I had with her. Um, I hired her. I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. Um, we dug really, really, really deep into my whys, into what was, what I had convinced myself was the truth. Um, how I thought alcohol was bettering my life. But when I really dug deep, realizing it was so much the opposite how it was taking more than it was giving. I mean, I'm, I'm a journaler, so that's how I use the guidance that she, um, that she gave me. I journaled and journaled and journaled. I probably have a book. If I put it all together, I probably have a book of my experience. <laughs> um, but pages and pages and pages of journaling, um, lots of meditation, um, a lot of inner reflection. And that is what finally got me to shift my mindset and realize that alcohol truly, truly was taking more than it was giving. I also had it in my head that, you know, you have to hit this rock bottom before you address something like this, before it's a problem. And I realized you can do it at any time. It doesn't actually even matter. In my opinion, it doesn't even matter how much you're drinking. It's how alcohol makes you feel inside. I have chatted with friends who um, drink, you know, maybe a bottle throughout a week. To them, that's too much. Um, and we've had amazing conversations about that. And there's no need for a label. There's no need for anything. It's just, how does it make you feel? Do you want to do something about it? Get curious about it. So um, basically, I worked with Carly. We worked on my mind. I took my nutrition knowledge and I, I, I knew all the nutrients I had been depleting and I sort of rebuilt myself um, from that perspective as well. And so came at it from a holistic perspective. So that's what made all the difference. And, and looking back, I think um, I'm so lucky that I made the choice when I did. And I'm so lucky that nothing worse happened. Um, some of those situations I got myself into in my 20s and 30s, I think I really shouldn't probably be here right now. Um, 
there must have been some sort of a guardian angel looking over me. I swear to God, it's it's um, amazing that I'm still here and that I made the shift when I did. And I'm really grateful for that. And that's, I think, the message that I really want people to hear when we share our stories or when, I sh when I'm sharing my story is that you don't need to wait. You really don't need to wait until awful things happen. Um, you can make this choice at any time. And I'm here also to help reduce the stigma. There is no need for labels. In fact, I think labels are what hold people back. Um, and I wanna share my story showing other women out there or anyone who supports women, you know, that, that you, you can do this. You can do this at, at any, any time. It's a, it's a choice. It's a choice I made for myself and it's the best gift I ever gave myself. And life now is, I mean, there's no, I wouldn't say no anxiety. There's a little bit of anxiety uh, still lingering, but oh my gosh, it's, I would say 90% better than what it was. Um, I used to shake a little bit, a lot of that's gone. Um, so the physical side of it is amazing. My energy has gone up. Like you wouldn't believe I feel better now than I did in my twenties mm -hmm. and I'm 48 <clears throat> and it's just, yeah, life has just completely shifted. And the biggest thing is I've been open and honest with my kids about it. They're 12 and 14, especially my 14 with my 14 year old. Um, I'm, I'm open to talking to him about all, everything, any questions he might have about it. Um, I'm willing to answer because I want to keep that communication open. Um, he's going to enter into it now. And I want him to be able to come to me if, if he's questioning anything whatsoever. And I think it's also wonderful to be able to show my kids that we are vulnerable, but we're also resilient, you know, and we can move through difficult stuff, went through something really, really difficult that wasn't easy to do. Um, and I did it and I'm proud of it and I'm not going to hide it from them. So that's basically my story. And that's where I am today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. I sorry. was going to say there's, there's so many things that you said, but one of the biggest ones that um, totally resonated with me was um, you were almost scared to stop drinking. And I think for me in the back of my head, I was like, I am a hot mess when I am not <laughs> drinking. Yeah. And it was the total opposite. I mean, I was a hot mess, whether I was drinking or not, but, um, I honestly did not know how to do life normally yeah. without alcohol. And that scared the crap out of me. Cause I was like, uh, I mean, you can go all different ways. It could be depression, you know, anxiety, uh, physical, like, I mean, the list can go on and on. But that was, I think that thought alone held me back for years mm -hmm. before I finally, and I'm also the type of person where I have to get slapped across the face. So I did have to hit a rock bottom to where if I did not change the direction, mm -hmm. it was going nowhere good at all. Um, so I wish 
I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast, right? Like if I would have heard someone say, you don't have to hit rock bottom and I'm proof of that, I would have been like, oh, maybe I should start reading some books. Maybe I should start educating myself or really dive into that. I think that could have helped me a ton and I wouldn't have had to go through what I did. Yeah. I I hear you so much, especially on that point about feeling all your feelings. Um, One thing that my coach warned me of and what I had been hearing of, um, you know, through, through reading Quitlet and listening to people, you feel so much because we've been numbing our feelings with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed at all the incredible feelings I felt when I did finally let it go. But I also felt all the crappy as well. And I had to sit in it. My therapist used to call it sitting in the yuck. You got to sit in the yuck. You got to sit in it. And it's not fun. It is not fun to sit in the yuck. But you do get through it. And when Mm -hmm. you're in it, you have to remind yourself and you're in the thick of it. Almost there's nowhere to go but up here. And I am going to learn something out of this. So even when you're sitting in that awful feeling, whatever that feeling is, know that when it lifts and it will lift, you're going to have learned something. Mm -hmm. You're definitely going to have learned something. And you don't know what that is when you're sitting in that low. But when you get out of it and you're back on your feet again, whatever it was, you look back and go, oh my gosh, I learned that I can get through that without Mm -hmm. alcohol or um, whatever I did in that moment that really helped me. And I didn't drink alcohol. I meditated instead. Oh my gosh, that helped me. Next time, maybe I'll do that again. You always learn something when you get out of it. But, but those feelings so intensified when I quit drinking, the good mm-hmm. and the bad, the good and the bad. You learn so much about yourself. I learned so much about myself. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Well, and you can just relate that to pain, period. I mean, it was painful for me to think of my life without alcohol. Um, and that's, you medicate. My choice of medication was just alcohol. Um, and I can't, God only knows if I would have ever been like, well, this isn't doing it for me anymore. <laughs> On to the next. I mean, that's just my personality is if I'm not getting what I need to feel good, I'm gonna try to figure out something else to get me there faster. And that was the track that I was on is, you know, after two or three bottles of wine at night, I was like, this almost isn't cutting it anymore. And do I need to move to something stronger, um, to get the job done, but, uh, and probably cheaper at the same time. Um, but yeah, that, that fear and that, oh, (laughs) that fear and that pain, I, that, I, I genuinely think that that is what keeps people in that loop. And, you, and it doesn't have to be from anything bad. It doesn't have to be from a you know traumatic childhood like Heather and I. It doesn't have to have any of that. It could just be like, I don't like myself when I'm not drinking. And that's painful enough for people. Totally. Absolutely. And Meredith, it's, it, you hopped on the same thing I was going to. It's the first thing I wrote down was being scared to let it go because mm-hmm. you don't you don't know who you are without it. Yeah. You know, you get so ingrained as to, you know, that, that person. 
uh, that Marcy, <laughs> um, you know, and, and my ex-husband went through the same thing when he quit drinking. He didn't know who he was because he had been drinking so long, you know, at, at a young age um, to forget his trauma um, mm -hmm. that he, he was like, I don't, I don't want to go out because I don't know who to be. I don't know how to act. I don't know what to do because he was always the life of the party. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's the way I felt I was at the time that I was drinking too. So that, that was one of the major points of, of that I wrote down too. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, wondering what other people think about you when you quit, you know, cause you've got the barrage of, well, well, why aren't you drinking? Why didn't, why did you quit? What's, what's wrong? You know, oh, you're boring now. And yeah. you get that whole situation going on. <laughs> what I found interesting on that was I thought that was going to be so much worse than it actually was. Yeah. Um, I thought everyone was going to be like, where's Marcy? Why isn't Marcy? Oh my God, we miss Marcy and blah, 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 everything, everything. I was amazed at how much support maybe people did miss Marcy. I don't know. And they didn't say anything, um, which is fine. <laughs> but um, I was amazed at actually how many people came up to me yeah. to give me a little pat on the back, even at a party. Like I had a good old friend of mine come up to me and he, he literally did that. He patted me on the back and he's like, I think this is amazing. And it was the little things like that, that made me realize I was on the right path. It's amazing mm -hmm. how much of that stuff is in your head. Yeah. You know, that, all of it. What, uh, all of it is. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I really resonated with the, definitely the fear because I had some of the extreme anxiety too. How am I going to deal with my anxiety if I stop drinking? What I didn't realize was how much the alcohol, like you said, adding, uh, you know, gasoline to the fire, how much the alcohol was intensifying the anxiety. And I wouldn't know that until I stopped drinking. Um, but that kept me in the loop for a long time because I had so many big emotions that I managed through, you know, numbing. And so the feeling, the thought of that was so intolerable. Um, as well as like the other big thing I resonated with me in your, in your share was um, your children. You know, when my kids started to ask like what time I came home mm. and, you know, when they didn't quite know who was going to show up because I did have hangovers and I did have a lot of mood swings and I couldn't hold it together to like keep the pieces together. And I was so broken personally that I couldn't do it for me, but I really, I was motivated to do it for them. And that's how it started. You know, it was really for my kids and my family. And then eventually it became for me. Because mm -hmm. um, these little people who I wanted to have more than anything in the world, I wanted to raise children and have a family. And, mm -hmm. and here it was, I was replicating these patterns and, and I wasn't the person that I, I wasn't the mom that I wanted to be. And we've also had very frank conversations about, um, those things and it'll be along because they're genetically predisposed they are you know yeah. so i mean this is kind of yeah. the the uh the reality of it um so yeah those two things really kind of stood out and the mommy culture 
I mean, it, oh, it, it's the marketing and all of the things that are behind it. And yeah. um, I, some of the craziest vendors that I have been on started at birthday parties. Like children's birthday parties, children's not like yeah, <laughs> children's birthday yeah. parties. I mean, that's the truth. Like, um, or play dates. Know. Yeah, play dates. Exactly. It exactly. started at ten, and we were like, "Well, we might as well start drinking." <laughs> yeah, exactly. All our kids are together. They're entertaining one another. Uh-huh. This is totally yeah. cool. You know, yeah. like absolutely. Um, yeah. And again, back to that point where you're, you think, "Thank God, nothing bad happened." You know, like I, we didn't have anything bad happen. What if, what if one yeah. of the kids needed us? I think of how many times we've been up at um, a cottage remote, like somewhere remote with the whole family and everybody's drinking. What if mm-hmm. something happened, you know? And that was another part of my why is that flexibility and being able to um, be there if there's a problem. My, my parents are also um elderly and I'm in that little like sandwich generation and so that was part of my why as well like I need to be able to sort of jump in the car you know if something happens um for my kids or my parents you know so and and there was a time when for many years where I wouldn't have been able to do that or if I did I'd end up with you know a DUI or whatever so anyway lucky again lucky Mm -hmm. lucky Mm -hmm. never was faced with that I do have a question for you. You had said that when you had done your one year sober stint that you felt like it was easy. Yeah. Why do you think that? Do you think it was because you had a goal and then after that you knew you could and it wasn't like a forever thing? Okay. It was like a fun experiment. It was a band-aid solution. I didn't have to dig too deep. Okay. Um, So you knew that eventually you're like, I'm doing this now, but I'm going to be able to drink. Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. There was no commitment there was no, yeah, I guess that was it. And I also, what fueled me over that year was how physically wonderful I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt amazing. Um, I got very fit. I, I just felt so good. So that sort of helped fuel the desire. So it was, it was, um, it was pretty easy during that time. But yeah, I think that was it in the back of my mind. I always knew, I always knew I will, um, this is only for a year. But I don't regret doing it at at all. It gave oh, me sure. Me. And if and if anyone out there is listening, wondering if they should give it a try, even for a month, I would so encourage that. You know, mm-hmm. just to give it a just see how it feels. Try it on. Try well, it on, and someone once told me that if you do that, where or I think there's like the seventy five hard, or there's mm-hmm. like a ninety yeah. day thing. Yeah. That if you do that, that journaling is super important. So you can document how you're feeling, what you're able to do and all this. So in the event you, when you do start drinking again, cause you were just wanting to see if you could do it, you could look back being like, I felt amazing on this day. I don't feel good right now. So it's almost like a, I don't, I, yeah, it's like a record book of, of that journey. So I think that that's, that's huge. But you had also mentioned that the pandemic Mm-hmm. So when we went into a pandemic, I literally, I was like, if I was still drinking, this would get really bad. Like okay. that would have yeah. been my yeah. catalyst to something yeah. beyond where I was. Okay. And I thanked God every day that I had mm-hmm. quit pre pandemic. Cause that was my big thing. I was like, I made it through 2020. I'm good. <laughs> 
Um, but that actually scared me for people that I knew or kind of knew of that just, I mean, it was like pedal to the metal, man. There was no excuse. Yeah. Yeah, There was no excuse on, 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 there were no limits at all. I mean, you could literally be at home and start drinking at 10 o'clock just because you could. I Um, did at the beginning of the pandemic. So we had uh, gone away, we'd gone away on a trip and we got home just in time. And when we got home, uh, we had to quarantine for two weeks and it was the start of the pandemic. So this is March, 2020. I drank like that for about two weeks because I figured I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck inside. I, they're telling me not to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm not even supposed to go out, you know, to the store. Like I, I have to stay inside. So I had friends delivering wine to my front porch. Um, and I would rotate through my friends so that I wasn't always relying on one person to go to the liquor store every, every, to make it seem weird. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I'll do that for you, Lisa. And I'm like, Oh, I just asked someone else to it two days prior. Anyway, there were, there were literally bags of Mm -hmm. wine being dropped off at my doorstep. So we did that. And I say we, cause my husband was on board as well. And we, we drank for two weeks and, but that, that was my, that was what scared me was just Mm -hmm. that the fact that I had gone so deep into it. And it was like, Oh, that's when I went, I have to do something about this because left to my own devices, left to, left to this situation. I, it was at this point, you know, you talk about the stages of addiction where then it's abuse and addiction. Like I was like this, like it was just, I was nosediving at that time. And And I, I I feel like, with it being such an unregulated substance, yeah, that's why it's, it's okay. And that's why, you know, to this day, when I, when I speak with someone, they're like, oh, you don't drink. And it's like, kind of like a, uh, that's kind of weird. They're like, why don't you drink anymore? And I'd simply just say, I was like, well, I had a really bad problem with it. So I'm just a better person without it. Um, I, it, the socially, the social acceptance of literally having a drinking problem or being an alcoholic is so sad in my mind because that's, it just makes it okay. And, you know, then you go into knowing that you need to ask seven different friends to drop off wine every two days. Like you make up these things and in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I don't want them to think I have a problem. When you do, you just don't want to admit that to yourself, but you're also creating these things to protect anyone or protect yourself from anyone knowing that you do have a problem. I mean, it's, it's so crazy to me. It is. It is. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, the, the pandemic is what did me and, you know, it, it, it took me to August and, you know, some, some pretty heavy stuff to, to realize it as well, which you'll hear in my story. Um, I, I just, I remember going into the beer distributor and they were out of my beer and they didn't know yeah. when they were I went off on them. Like I, the mm-hmm. F word was flying out. And I'm like, mm. I walked out of there. Like, who are who is you? That? Like, yeah. who, who do you think you are? Yeah. Like what yeah. happened to you? And I'm like, thank God I had my mask on. Cause they'll know, no, they won't know it's me. And I'm like, I'm in there every seven days buying a case of, you know, victory golden monkey. Of course they're going to know who it is. And you know, then mm-hmm. what did I do? I, I called 
victory, you know, because the brewery's 20 minutes down the street, and I bought three cases of beer, loaded up my car, and I was like, F you, beer distributor. <laughs> yeah. You know, but like, yeah. it, why? <laughs> Yeah. So I feel you on that. Yeah. My God, you just don't know who you are anymore. No, you it's don't. It's scary. You don't. And, and during the pandemic, people, social media and everything, like, it oh. was so accepted. Yeah. Like, well, what else are we going to do? Crack open a drink. You know, there was, there were different businesses popping up. I remember my husband had beer delivered to the door because this yeah. guy saw this as a business opportunity. Absolutely. And he was driving around delivering it, home delivery. I'm your personal beer concierge or whatever he had some card he, he was giving out you know it was just and the fact that the it was considered an essential service as well you know it, it just mind all blowing. Of it, it, yeah it is it is when I really interesting to hear you because you know I live in a Muslim country so yeah alcohol is very different here and for us when the pandemic happened our town was locked down and the source of alcohol was outside of the parameters of the lockdown. So our town was locked down. There's no out and there's no alcohol inside the town. So when we were able to start getting these um, day passes for you know permission to leave site for the day or to leave the town for the day, people were doing alcohol runs. But it was it was a good four weeks before that was those passes were allowable. And so I just, I kept thinking about like the DTs and people like mm. when South Africa just stopped the sale of alcohol, like overnight, I started to really think about people who were not prepared for that and literally how dangerous that was. Oh, um, yes. But the chats and the, and the building chats that we would have and people doing, you know, alcohol runs when they could. And then somebody was trying to organize to have alcohol delivered, but at that time, it coincided with Ramadan, and mm. there's very strict regulations around Ramadan, so they couldn't actually get the alcohol in the building, delivered to the building because of Ramadan. So it was really interesting as someone who is in recovery to see the general public and mm. how they were really trying to get access to this stuff um, and knowing that people were suffering. The um, panic. Yeah, the panic. Yeah, the panic, and and I can understand that because I can relate to what that would have been like. Yeah. In my case, you know, like I can remember moving to different states and they didn't sell alcohol on a Sunday. You would think like you could just adjust to that, but like <laughs> mm -mm. for some reason we couldn't. Like we could just not figure yeah. out you needed to buy before midnight. You know, like, yeah. but um, you know, but then you would run out. Like it was never enough, right? There was never yeah. enough on hand or no. I think about and preparing funny. for hurricanes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's funny, you didn't, you didn't see anyone rushing out to get paper supplies or rushing out to get medicine mm -hmm. or being like, I'm going for a medicine run. Do you need Tylenol? Like none mm -hmm. of that was happening. It was it all was alcohol. All alcohol. And toilet, and toilet paper. paper. <laughs> and toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> we didn't have the toilet paper understand. shortage. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah, that was unreal. Watching but people also, almost get into a fist fight over a package of toilet oh, paper. Totally. And and to the point we were talking about it before about the money saved. I just had to open up. I wanted to show you guys. I I haven't opened this in a while just because I haven't been tracking days or anything. I'm um the amount of money I put in this app, it's called I Am Sober. 
Yeah. Um, that I drank $15 a day. Cause I was like, I at least, at least $15 a day. Doesn't seem like much, right? Money saved so far, $9,360 on here. Right about the same. That's insane. Right when about you the think same of it, almost too. ten thousand yeah. dollars, and you know, I'm not. I haven't even hit two years. You know, I'm. I'm. I quit. I quit in April of 2020, and um, wow. March, April. So anyway, it's it's a lot of money. You were right before me. You were right before me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're around the same time. Yeah. Huh. Well, anyway, thank you all so much for joining me today. And I'm so excited to hear Meredith and Dana, your stories as well. And this is what I love. We're all, we all have unique stories. Like we're all, we all have different stories. Everyone's got a different story. And mm -hmm. when I think, you know, as I mentioned, alcohol is a spectrum. Like we're all at different stages and we all got in there at different stages. Um, but we're all so much better for it and uh, I agree. that is why I am doing what I am doing with you ladies so Ditto. thank you all for listening well thank you for sharing that was great thank you for sharing all right well we'll see you guys next week sounds good sounds thanks great. everyone for joining thanks bye bye Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at 4SoberChicks. That's number 4SoberChicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.